morning, everyone. Um, so reading Leviticus 16, 1 to 22 on page 115 of the Bibles in your chairs. <clears throat> Give you a second to get there. Another very exciting chapter. Here we go. The Day of Atonement. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark, or else he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the most holy place. He must first bring a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin, for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. Then he is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it to the wilderness as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the tablets of the covenant law, so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood, and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people, and take its blood behind the curtain, and do with it as he did with the bull's blood." He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanliness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanliness. <clears throat> no one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out. Having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel, then he shall come out, of the, out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanliness of the Israelites. When Aaron has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting, and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all 
their sins and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place, and the man shall release it in the wilderness. And that's where our reading ends. Over to you, Bruce. How many people here are wondering what on earth is going on in that chapter? <laughs> a few. My job is to try and explain that, and not just explain it, but apply it to us. So I'm going to pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we do thank you we can be here. And it's a weird and wonderful chapter, but yet it has some profound truths to teach us. And so, Father, help me to unpack it clearly. Help us all to receive it powerfully into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want one word to sum up what I'm going to be talking about, it's assurance. What we just had read is all about the Day of Atonement. Let me come to that in a few minutes. I want us to take us back, if I can get us on the screen there. Um, can we change over, thanks? Who knows Billy Graham? Not personally, but knows of Billy. Just put up your hand if you've never heard of Billy. Anyone? Most people. There's a couple of people who haven't heard of him. Um, Billy Graham is probably the most famous preacher of the 20th century. And Billy preached, they believe, to more people uh, than any other person in the 20th century. And literally, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people came to Christ through him. Literally hundreds of thousands of people. And he came to Sydney over a number of years came first in 59, the famous crusade that was at the Ramwick Racecourse. And if you're old enough to remember that, um, that was one of the most significant events, I think, in Sydney's history. Um, church historian Church Piggin, uh, Stuart Piggin, describes it as a revival. The crime rates in Sydney dropped in the year after Billy first came, 1959. His last great crusade was in 1979, and I was there along with thousands of others. I was about 15 years old. And Billy spoke again out at the Ramwick Racecourse. And it was over about two or three weeks that he spoke, most nights. And it was a very big thing in Sydney. And he was on the TV one night on A Current Affairs. And Billy was interviewed by the current host of A Current Affair, Mike Willisey. Now, Mike um, was the one who basically ran that show. And he was renowned as a tough, um, questioning, investigative kind of journalist. And he had Dr. Graham there, or Billy Graham, in the studio and he asked him, Dr. Graham, do you think you'll be going to heaven? And this was after kind of, if I can say, the introductory, introductory niceties. And Billy responded this way and his answer caused quite a stir and it actually shocked Mike Willisey. Billy responded this way, I don't just think I'm going to heaven, Mike, I know I'm going to heaven. And it's not because I'm Billy Graham and I've preached to a few people in my time. And it's not because I'm a good man. God knows I'm a sinner, he said. The point is, I know what my future holds because I'm trusting Jesus. And he's promised it for me and anyone else who wants to trust him. And you can almost see Billy's getting re ready to um, give an invite to anyone who's listening that night. And the thing I remember most, though, was Mike Willis's response. He could not make sense of the confidence that Billy Graham had. 
it completely puzzled him and he was completely thrown and he asked him, you can't really be sure, can you? Yes, I'm sure. Now let me stop and ask us this question. When you consider where you stand before God, are you completely confident and sure that you will be accepted into heaven when your time comes? It's a very good question to ask. As we look at this weird, slightly wonderful, no doubt very different chapter, Leviticus 16, we're going to see how you can be confident about your standing with God. And it's all about what we call the atonement. Now, chapter 16 is really a pivotal chapter in this book of Leviticus. What we've looked at previously in terms of sacrifice, priesthood, cleanliness and uncleanliness leads up to this point, chapter 16, which is the Day of Atonement. And it is an odd day. Now, if you're a Hebraic person uh, of Jewish background, you would call it Yom Kippur. And that's just simply from two Hebrew words, Yom meaning day, Kippur, it's not a kippah as in what you might eat in uh, northern Europe, a little uh, salted fish. Kippur means atonement. I'm going to explain what that means. And I've got three points for us this morning uh, in terms of Christian assurance. What is the Day of Atonement? How is the Day of Atonement fulfilled in Jesus? And what does that mean for our assurance? Let me just say, when we think about what the Day of Atonement is, or Yom Kippur, um, I remember asking my group, and Chris said, oh, that was a famous battle. Um, And if you know your military history, it was a very famous battle, the Battle of Yom Kippur in 1973. And the Egyptians, knowing it was a holy day in Israel, and that they were fasting, basically invaded the country. And it created a great Arab-Israeli war in 73. Um, If you're of Jewish background, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, is probably the most important holiday in the Jewish year. It's still celebrated today, uh, and if you've got Jewish friends, it will be on the 29th to the 30th of September this year. I would understand Friday night through to the Saturday evening. And it's a very significant day when they'll refrain from work, they'll fast, they'll attend synagogues, and there's a number of other things that happen in their religious services that day. But in Leviticus 16, it's an annual religious day to atone for the sins of the entire nation. And if you've got your Bibles, I'd love you to open up, and we're at page 115 and 116. So if you've got them there, please do get them out and have a look, because we're going to look at a couple of different verses here. And I'm going to take us to the end of the chapter to start with, verse 29, which sums up this day. And Moses, who wrote Leviticus, said this, This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or a foreigner residing among you. So it's a significant day because, verse 30, On this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. It's a day of Sabbath rest and you must deny yourselves. In other words, it's a fasting day. It's a lasting ordinance. In other words, this was the day when God would enact through this particular ceremony, atonement to forgive the sins of the nation for the year. And I just want to stop as we look at this chapter 13 and ask a couple of questions. What is atonement in general? 
what were the priests doing in particular and what's with these goats? <laughs> well, let's have a look particular, what is atonement? Now, the word for atonement is kapur. It's where you get Yom Kapur from, Day of Atonement. And it simply means this, it means to avert punishment, especially divine anger, by means of a payment or a ransom, which may be money or it may be life. And it's a substitutionary process. Something or someone will atone for sins to avert divine anger. Now, I'll show you a verse on the screen there. Uh, Here's a classic case. This is Numbers 16, verse 46. If you look behind, Moses said to Aaron, and it's at a point in Israel's history where the people of God had turned their backs on God, And Moses says to Aaron, who is one of the priests, take your censer and put incense in it along with burning coals from the altar and hurry to the assembly to make atonement for them. Wrath has come out from the Lord. The plague has started. In other words, you must go and do this so that the wrath is diverted and does not continue to fall upon the people of God. Now, I want to give an illustration. Um, We have Matt's Facebook page. And this is a hypothetical, but just imagine Scott has a really bad day, okay? A really bad day. And he shocks everyone with this very racist post. And you think, what is going on for Scott? But all of a sudden, it hits the news cycle as people start posting this. And all of a sudden, St. Matthews is in the news and it gets to the Herald. And then all of a sudden, Glenn Davies rings me up and says, I've just seen the post on your St. Matthew's Facebook page. What's going on? And there's silence on the phone. And he reads me out the post. Now, what can I do? I could say, oh, look, I had nothing to do with it, Glenn. Um, It's this guy called Scott who's on my staff team. (laughs) I'll deliver him over to you. But what I could also do is say, Glenn, I'm responsible. I'm the senior minister here. And I take full responsibility for what happened. But I want to know who did it, Glenn says to me. No, I'm the senior minister here, Glenn, and I'm responsible. No, I want the person who did it. No, Glenn, I'm responsible. This is going to go on your record, Bruce. You'll have to pay for this. You'll get a first warning, officially, from me. And I go, that's okay, I'm responsible. And Scott, I talk to later, walks free. Now let me say, Scott has never done that, and I know he would never do that. But what am I doing? I'm diverting the Archbishop's wrath which is rightly indignant for what's happened, if I can say, in one of his churches. And there's a price that needs to be paid for this. And I'm saying, I'll take it. And I'm going to protect my staff member and deflect the wrath that should fall on them and I'll take it myself. Okay? And I'm atoning for that staff member's sins. And I'm paying the price because on my record now, I have a first warning. Any more, 
I'm gone. Okay? That's what atonement means. Let me just say thank you, Scott, for allowing me to use your good character and name in this process. We know you'd never do that. But I thought it was a helpful way to illustrate what atonement is. And you see, that's what this day was all about. Their sins that they had committed actually being covered over and they being paid for another way so that the wrath of God would not fall on them. So that's atonement. Well, secondly, what's with the priests and what were they doing? Now, let me just say this. Um, if you're from Anglo-Saxon background or Western culture, we've grown up with a way of thinking and learning and processing that goes back to Greco-Roman culture. It's why we're called the Western world, as against the Eastern and the Middle Eastern, who've got different ways of learning and processing information. Now, Western culture is steeped in logic, propositions, definitions, lists, etc., etc. Uh, and it goes all the way back to great Greek thinkers like Aristotle and Plato. That's the world that the New Testament is born into. And so it's no surprise you've got letters like the book, the letter to the Romans, which is full of, if I can say, detailed analysis explaining with propositions and definitions what the Christian faith is. The people of Israel, though, they come out of a very different culture. They're from a Middle Eastern culture, if I can move to this side. Um, it's a culture that is steeped in oral stories to define themselves. It's a storytelling culture. It's one where pictures and images are used to communicate profound truths. Now, the closest thing we'd have in Australia is with our Indigenous Aborigines. They have an oral culture that their understanding of themselves so much is defined by their stories. Now, why do I say that? Because you won't understand this chapter without understanding that. What this chapter is about is images and pictures are given through ceremony to commute the most commit uh, not commit to communicate the most profound truths that our sins have been dealt with and atoned for and taken away. So I want you to think firstly about the priesthood. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, Scott reminded us that they had two different functions. First function is they represent God to the people. Now I'm going to put up a picture there. Um, of course, there are no pictures of the priests from the first century, uh, from the uh, Old Testament. But I want you to know it's a very colourful outfit. And it was designed to make the priests look glorious. Because as they represented God to the people, the people should see something of the glory and the magnificence of God. And so the priests would come and minister, if I can say, God to the people. They would teach them, amongst other things. And visually, they would see how wonderful God was as the priest on God's behalf ministered to them. That's what you see in chapter 8 as the priesthood is described. Have a look with me at chapter 16, verse 4. 
It says this, he is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to the body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are the sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. Now, if I can give you a screen. Um, Oh, my Mac is running out of battery. Dave Hanbury, can you please? Um, It's white. Because the second function of the priest was this. He was to represent the fact that he was one of the people who would now minister up to God. And the white communicated that he was just like one of us, who would then, on behalf of us, go and minister to God. And he had these two functions. And you can see the two outfits visually communicated to the people the role that he was performing. On the Day of Atonement, he is there representing the people. So if you're an Israelite on the Day of Atonement, and I'm the priest, I'm here representing you as I go in the presence of God. Now listen to what happens. He first would sacrifice a bull for his own sin because he is sinful like all the rest of the Israelites and so he himself has to be cleansed before he can go into the presence of God. Secondly, he would bathe and it would be, if I can say, a visual experiential reminder of the fact that he needs to be cleansed if he's to walk and minister in the presence of God. And the linen clothing he wore was simple, not elaborate. And he would then go into the Holy of Holies where God dwelt. And you see, the people are watching, if I can say, their representative getting as clean as possible and on their behalf going into the most holy place where God was. And what would happen there? Well, there's two goats involved. What's with the two goats? Beautiful billy goats you've got there. Have a look at verse 8. It says in verse 8, he used to cast lots for the two goats. One lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. And then in verse 9, Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. And so the priest would take the first goat and he would kill it. And they would drain the blood out and the blood would then be used to cover the mercy seat or the Ark of the Covenant in the most holy place. I want to read to you just from verse 17, chapter 17, verse 11. If you want to just go ahead one chapter, chapter 17, verse 11. This is to help us understand about why blood is so important. Moses said, The life of a creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. In other words, we deserve to die. The Israelites deserve to die. Blood had to be shed in their place. It was a substitution that took place. And it was through the shedding of blood that atonement or the averting of God's wrath on them would take place. And so the first goat, he is sacrificed, the blood is drained, and it's used ceremonially. You can see all the description. I don't want to get too bogged down the details. But it's through the shedding of blood 
And it's worth hearing what Paul says in Romans. The wages of sin is death. And that's what they were being confronted with as the priest on the Day of Atonement killed the goat instead of them for their sins. Well, that's the first goat. The second goat is what we call the scapegoat. Now, you've heard the phrase to be a scapegoat. That's where this concept comes from. And to be a scapegoat today is to be someone who takes the blame for someone else, isn't it? There's someone who will go down for it. You're going to be the scapegoat. And you can see there in verse 10, the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Now, let me just tell you, the word scapegoat, and I don't normally teach you Hebrew words, it's this word, Azazel. Let's just say it together, Azazel. We're in Hebrew class today. Yom Kippur, first two words, Azazel. Now, I tell you that because if you look at other translations, the English Standard Version, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, they simply have here the Azazel. They actually don't say the scapegoat. And the reason for that is it's, it's, it's a complicated word that they're not quite sure of, but in simple terms, it's a word that means to take away. Okay? So the first goat is the sacrificing goat. The second goat is the take-away goat, if I can put it literally, the Azazel. And what would they do with the Azazel? Well, have a look at verses 21 and 22. If I got it there, there's the Azazel. He is to lay, this is the priest, lay both hands on the head of the live goat, and this is in front of all the people, and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away in the wilderness in the care of someone appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a remote place and the man shall release it in the wilderness. I want you to think about what they're seeing. They're seeing a sacrifice on their behalf in the first instance. Blood shed instead of theirs. And in the second instance... They're seeing the priests confess all their sins and laying them on this goat, the Azazel. And what happens to the goat? They literally walk it out of the camp. Now, I'm not going to walk out the back there, but that's what would happen. And you would sit here and watch as this goat, with the sins of the nation walking out the door and disappearing and they would walk it probably for a couple of days it's not the kind of goat you want to have turn up in your back garden a few days later with the sins of the whole nation on it that's not going to be a good year is it (laughs) and can you imagine how they're feeling as one lady said to me this morning i felt like cheering You see, visually, God was saying to them, your sins are gone. They've been atoned for. Now come with me to the New Testament. How is this fulfilled in Christ? 
So I can say, that's the Old Testament ceremony. How is this fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you've got your Bibles, open up to John 19. You may never have seen this before. Chapter 19 is John's recording of Jesus' trial and crucifixion and death. And I'm going to pick up from verse 12 at the trial and the subsequent crucifixion. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate says to the Jews. Now I want you to hear the cry. But they shouted out, what did they shout out? Azazel. Azazel. Now I'm using the Hebrew. Take him away. Take him away. Do you see what's going on? Now, I'm sure they didn't know what was happening at one level, but John records it for us. And what's powerfully here in John's Gospel is the fulfilment of this Day of Atonement being enacted visually for the people. The one who would carry the sins, not just of the nation, but the world, is being taken away. And where's he being taken? Outside the camp outside the city and he's crucified outside the city bearing the sins of the world as Azel. and you see Jesus is both sacrifice and scapegoat and he is the one who atones for our sins So if we have to stand before God and if we have to face the music, we will, if I can say, be judged. But there is one who has stood in our place for us and who covers us and protects us of all of our sin. And here's the thing I want you to get this morning. Our sin in God's eyes, is gone. And I want you to have a look at a couple of verses with me. It's really quite profound. There's the one on taking away. Um, Hebrews 10.14 is profound. And I'm going to read you the whole passage. I've got the key one up there. Day after day, Hebrews 10.11 through to 14, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his football. Footstool, not football, sorry, got rugby on my head. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, anyway. <laughs> made his footstool. For by one sacrifice... And I want you to note, he has made what? Perfect. Forever. Those who are being made holy. And if you want one verse to sum up 
the impact and the effect of Christ's death and his atoning sacrifice, there it is. We are made perfect forever. Azazel, the goat, friends, has left the building. Here's another one. Romans 3.25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood. Well, so what? What does this mean for us? Well, have a look at this verse in Hebrews. And you see, this is all through the New Testament. It's the confidence and the assurance we have in Christ because of his atoning death for us. Hebrews 10, 21 to 23. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and note the words, full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Friends, we can have full assurance that our sins have been dealt with and they are gone because of Christ's death. The price has been fully paid and the sins have been removed. And that's what this day in Leviticus was all about and it was actually prophetic it was a rehearsal in many ways for the great day of atonement which is when Christ was taken away and because of that we can have complete assurance that we are forgiven that we are accepted that we are loved that we are part of God's family and that when we trust in him and in his death for us will be accepted warmly into his presence when we die. You see, Billy Graham was not arrogant, though he was boasting. He was boasting in Christ and Christ alone. And friends, we can have that same level of confidence and we too should also boast in Christ. And I want to say to you, if someone reminds you of your past or if the devil reminds you of the sin that we struggle with, I just want you to say this in your head. The goat has left the building. You got it? Azazel, the goat has left the building. Our sin has been dealt with at the cross and the Christian life looks like this. We keep believing in that and we keep turning away from our sin and walking towards our Saviour. Friends, I want to stop and just have a time to pray. Because I know there'll be people here who lack assurance. And my word to you is this, you simply need to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and see him dying on the cross for you and believe. And believe he's done that for you. And then give your life to him, the most wonderful saviour, who by his death can make you perfect in God's sight.
Well, if that's you today and you're needing assurance, let's look to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and come to him. And I just want to invite us to pray this prayer again. It's a prayer of dedication and commitment. And so with our, if I can say, our hearts bowed, let's all today finish by praying this prayer as we come to the Lord Jesus on this day, as we remember his atonement. Dear Lord Jesus, today I come to you for forgiveness. I confess my sin. I turn from them. I thank you that you died for me. Wash me clean. Forgive me and fill me with your spirit. Amen. Let me pray for us all. Father, we just thank you that in Christ we can have complete assurance of our sins forgiven and that we are made perfect in your sight. Father, we thank you with the most, from the depths of our hearts, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and we're going to sing and we're going to rejoice. It's the uh, collection song. Please do uh, give if you are not giving electronically as a member. For our guests, please be our guest. And if you've got your Connect card there, please do place it in the basket as it comes around.